Well, let's pray and we'll jump in for tonight. I'm, I'm glad y'all are here. Father, we thank you for the day that we've had and uh, life that you've given us today and the opportunities in life you've given us today to, to do everything that we do uh, for your glory and to honor you and to worship you. Now we pray that as we go through our day, Lord, that you would give us uh, opportunities each day God, to serve others and love others around us, and to have meaningful conversations, and to share uh, our faith with others, God, just in a way that, to give them a, an opportunity to consider the truths of the Bible, Lord. And so with that in mind, God, we turn to a study out of Bible study methods, how to read and study and appropriate truth from your word. And so bless us, Lord, as we embark on this study, and may it uh, benefit us, God, as we study, and then as we share our faith together and with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> go to that first slide there, JR. Uh, I made JR work for me up there tonight. Uh, as we kick this off, I just wanted to share a little bit of uh, kind of the why, um, personally, that I really wanted to do this study uh, with you uh, as the church. Um, I grew up in a, with a very devotional model of reading scripture. Um, and so with that, the emphasis as I was taught to come to scripture and as I opened scripture and read scripture, the main question on my mind as it was taught to me was, what does that say to me? And what does that mean to me? Um, rather than just simply, what does it say? And the, the trap in that was that I came to Scripture reading it, what does it say to me? Like, in my mind, not what is it saying to me, but what do I think it's saying? You know, and so as I was reading it, I was reading it very much from a, a reader's perspective, and I wasn't given a whole lot of thought to the writer's perspective or the author, capital A, author's perspective or God's intent and what God was communicating as he read, uh, wrote those words through the people that he wrote those words through. Now, uh, I think I mentioned Sunday, God did a lot of good work in me graciously in spite of how often I uh, misread or misapplied Scripture uh, because the Spirit is God and the Word is uh, God's Word. The Spirit teaching my heart taught me a lot of truth uh, from Scripture. And so it wasn't that I was completely devoid and radically off base, uh, but I did come to find that I was missing a lot and uh, that I was misreading often a text. Um, and, but God was, he was still very gracious to me. And so I'll say often when I'm kind of sharing my testimony for how the Lord moved me towards ministry, um, that God would just kind of salted my path continuously uh, in front of me. I, I didn't know how hungry I was for sound teaching and a right understanding of the Word. And there were several instances at a church camp and then a Bible study and just a fellowship gathering randomly with some friends in their church and just odd moments where somebody would get up and they would teach the Word in such a way that it, it was like I had been in a desert and I was starving and I was thirsty and I was dying and I didn't even know it. And all of a sudden you're in an oasis and there's food and there's water and there was life and there was sustenance. And I just <laughs> drunk deeply and I was like, how, where, how did you, how do you, how do you do that? And the answer that came up over and over was Denton Bible Church and DTS. Now, Denton Bible Church and DTS aren't the only folks that know how to do this. And so that's why I know God was just salting the path in front of me. Um, and yet in this area, uh, Denton Bible Church and DTS and churches pastored by guys from DTS uh, are largely responsible for promulgating or teaching exegesis of scripture or Bible study methods and getting that uh, right in the pulpit and right in their lectures and right in the teaching and then out to folks in churches. And so 
Uh, so when I went to Young Guns, we touched on this a little bit, and it was kind of like being put in the high chair and pulled up to the table, and you get a bib and a fork and a knife, and you're you're just learning, you know, how to feed yourself. And then the very first class you do in seminary is just this, and it's nothing that anybody couldn't do. It's it's an odd thing to me that we often only do this in seminary. <laughs> because it's so accessible, but that was like being taught how to shoot a rifle and then field dress what you shot and then take it back to your campsite and cook it and have dinner. You know, it's like now you can really feed yourself and it it gives so much clarity about scripture. It gives a lot of confidence about scripture, which is something I think I hear as folks talk that we often can struggle with. Um, it gave me uh, a greater love for Scripture as you get to explore the Bible, uh, and a greater with that just delight in God, and uh, and then a, a greater ability to connect the Word with the issues of our day, or to uh, connect with others and what's going on in their lives with the Word, and, and a greater compassion um, for people. Uh, God has been so gracious to me and so patient and so long-suffering. And so uh, as you see God's grace more to you and you understand who He is more, uh, I just don't think you can help but have more compassion for others. And so it's my hope if you've never been exposed to this study, or even if you have through, say, K. Arthur or Precepts or Community Bible Studies or some groups like that, uh, that this would encourage you as we walk through this together. Uh, and so that's kind of a personal testimony why, you know, why I want to do this uh, together with you guys. Um, but what is it from Scripture that would drive us? Let's jump to the next slide and we'll start working through some of these. Um, primarily from Scripture when I started thinking about this, and you may think of other passages of Scripture, I would encourage you as you think of those to write those down with these, right? Hopefully, ideally, you'll be teaching this to somebody somewhere sometime. If ever somebody puts their faith in Christ and they're like, what do I do now? This is one of the best first things to do with them. You show them how to share the gospel with their friends, and then you show them how to read their Bible well. And so uh, take note of these texts, and then as you think of other texts to enrich it as you teach it, or parents to your children, you know, think of other texts that you would include here. Maybe shoot them back to me so I can include them next time I teach it. You'll make my teaching better, see? Um, but here's a few of them that came to mind for me. Um, we know that God's Word is effectual. That means it, when God speaks, things happen, right? Uh, when God says, let there be the universe and all of creation, it comes into existence, and so when God is speaking to his people about salvation and their deliverance in Isaiah 55, it's a passage we know well. He says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth that will not return to me, what? Void or empty, right? Uh, if you grow a Baptist like me, you know it, void, right? Um, it will not return to me void or empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Now, in the context there, he's talking about his promises to, to deliver his people. As we look at God's word through all of scripture, and when God pronounces things, they always come to pass. And his word will do one of two things in the heart of a person. It will cause them to repent or it will harden their heart one way or the other. And so when you come before God's word, it's effectual. And there's no gray area. God's word will either humble a soul towards repentance before him, and it'll, ha it'll have its work in us, or it will accomplish another work, and it will harden a heart. And sometimes even that's what God's doing. We see that in scripture. So his word always is effectual, always. And so um, uh, it, it, ha it does its work. Let's go to the next one. Um, we know this is another one we know well, that God's word uh, discerns the thoughts and the motives of our heart. And this is one we were often asked to memorize young. 
Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What a great visual, right? Um, especially for a young guy, you know, you just wanted to be one of the musketeers, you know. Uh, it's living, it's not dead, it's active, it's not passive, it, it works in us, it works on us. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it, it goes on to describe what that sharpness is. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, which is nigh on impossible to divide. To divide the joints or the bones and the marrow. And if you've ever seen inside a bone, there's lattice work even inside the marrow. It's not just a, it's not just a clear tube like a straw. There's a lattice work of bone inside where the marrow is, and there's marrow in that lattice work. And so it, that's a, a, it's a mix mash, but it, it can even divide those two. And even able then to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so when I sit down to the Word, to read the Word, you know, it, it is effectual. It does the work God wants it to accomplish uh, and it, it can even discern in me thoughts and intentions, right? You know how often we say, I'm going to do this, and we justify in our thoughts our good motives for doing that, but if you sit down long enough, you don't really have the bad, you really have a selfish motive sitting down in there, right? And the Word of God can even discern to us our motives, our intentions, from our thoughts and straighten those out for us so that our intentions would become more pure and more holy. So his word's effectual in us as we sit under it. Let's go to the next one. Uh, And it defends us from error as we're confronted by it, both in the spiritual and the earthly realms. And so in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is about a church under pressure spiritually in the heavenly realms and in the earthly realm. Uh, And so you get that great passage at the end of it, put on the whole armor of God and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And you remember, you you might think, yeah, we're going to battle, right? But, But Paul's imperative in that passage isn't go out and fight. His imperative is what? Stand firm in the faith, right? That you would get arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, with the fellowship of the church, and you have something, Hebrews 4, that can discern right from wrong. And no matter what's being thrown at you, you have something too that can slice those things open and you can defend what's coming at you. Just the way you know the shield can quench the fiery darts, the sword is a little more up close and personal, but it's there to defend and, uh, and discern right from wrong. Uh, and so take the sword of the Spirit with you that you'll do some fighting with there, but you're, you're parrying off error and things being pressed to you. And this is the Word of God. One more, I think. <clears throat> Looks like maybe two. Uh, and this is a good one. I don't know if you've read all 176 verses of Psalm 119 of late and studied that through, you know, in all its bits and parts and pieces. Uh, but Psalm 119, the interesting thing about Psalm 119 um, is that there's so many verses because it's an, it's an acrostic or a, is that the right word? It's got a set of eight verses for every letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so, what's that? Eight, 16, Jonathan, do the math for me. Is that 22? Something like that? I think that's 22. So, um, And so when you start the second section, it's verse 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 11, your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so God's word is the effectual means for our walking in purity or in righteousness. And so if we're trying to accomplish that without a regular intake and understanding of God's Word, we're, we're just going to miss the mark um, because we're not walking in His Word. Uh, one more, I think. And there's another one now that comes to mind that y'all might be thinking of, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's one that we could have included. That may be in Psalm 119 later. Um, 
But uh, here's uh, the last one, Isaiah 40, verse 8. God's word endures. So when you want a a source of truth that you can trust, now that's never going to change, right? Our understanding of it hopefully changes and grows. Uh, Man's understanding of it uh, has ebbed and flowed. But God's word remains the same always. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so if you want a certain source of truth, then you go to God's word. Uh, science can be helpful, but science has changed radically over the years. God's word never changes. And so uh, we want to um, we want to go to his word if we want to know truth. So any other passages come to mind that y'all are thinking of that y'all want to share right now? I'd love to hear them. Any others that y'all are thinking of, even if you don't know the verse reference? All of uh, every scripture is inspired or God-breathed, yes? Yes. We're going to get to that one in a moment. That's a good one. What else? I was making sure I had it in there. That would have been a big oversight. What other? Any other passages of scripture on the word that come to mind that you want to share? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to continue the gospel work, which is his word. So the word that was preached to you. Do you have one, Jonathan? You were thinking of something. Good one. Yeah. Meditate upon his word day and night. Yeah. And what's the rest of it? There we go, Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, meditate on day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Man, you nailed it. So, yeah, that's a good one. Joshua 1 8. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Illumination. So you don't stumble. Yep. All right. Well, so where do we begin? I just wanted to give you a small snippet of something to work with as we get started. How did, Where do we start this thing? Um, and I, I loved Howard Hendricks. Um, well, no, I don't want to go to that yet. So let's go to the next slide. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm excited about that part. Uh, here's the effects. The effects, I think, when you get into the Word, the, here's three or four passages just on the effect the Word has in us. First Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And so if we're going to grow spiritually, we grow by the Word of God is what that verse teaches us, right? And so we will oftentimes mistake life experience for wisdom, right? And practical knowledge of the world for wisdom and for spiritual maturity. But spiritual maturity is always connected to knowledge, understanding, and then the ability to implement or apply the Word of God to life. So especially when you go back to the Psalms, the Proverbs, wisdom, is a right knowing and a right usage or implementation or application of the Word of God to life. And so if we want to grow spiritually, it comes from the Word. That's our nourishment and our sustenance for our growth. And so we need it to grow. Let's go to the next one. Uh, The Scripture also talks about not just growth, but actual spiritual transformation. That's kind of a buzzword over the last 10, 20, 30 years spiritual transformation or change um, is a better word maybe. Uh, All scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now those four things there basically lay out repentance. Repentance. 
for us. And I hadn't thought about this verse that way in a while, for a long time. But when you look at it, it's profitable for teaching or telling us what is right. Right? And after you know what is right, you're able then to look at your life and know what's not right. And that's reproof. It can tell you what's right. And then for reproof, which is to tell you what's wrong. And after you know what's wrong, then you need to know how to make it right, which is correction, right? To make it right. And then to train us in righteousness or to equip us so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, for every good work. And so this is not just growth in general, but this is like the specific process of how we grow and change, how we're sanctified, that we would come to biblical knowledge that would expose error in us, also showing us how to correct that error and then training us in the way that we ought to go. And so uh, the Word is tied uh, innately to our process of spiritual transformation or growth or sanctification in Christ. So let's do the next one. So spiritual growth, spiritual transformation. So you would expect then also that the Word would be tied to the idea of spiritual maturity. Uh, And so the writer of Hebrews uh, says this uh, to those that he writes to, for by this time you ought to be teachers. So if you've been in the faith, if you've known Christ for any amount of time at all, you ought to be teaching others. And uh, that's that's a challenge to us. Um, And so if you're here, you can receive that and know that we're going to walk through some things the next several weeks to help you on that way. But you ought to be able to teach. You have, but he says, you have need again uh, for someone to teach you, and which is an issue. And not just teach you, but teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. In other words, we're going to go back to the basics. Uh, And you have come to need milk and not solid food. And so if you're longing for the milk of the word to grow by it, if the word is having its work in you by the spirit and you're changing, then you come to a place where you have spiritual maturity and you're able to teach others, uh, whether that's discipleship, your children, discipling them, uh, somebody from work, or at some point uh, leading a fellowship group or a men's study or a ladies study or a study Bible uh, class on a Sunday morning, um, or for some even to be preaching uh, on Sundays when I'm gone or when I'm here. That would be awesome too, All right? And so uh, uh, that you ought to be reach a, a spot of maturity. And that comes from the Word, from knowing the Word of God, all right? Uh, and then lastly, one more there, or one or two more. Um, it's the effectual basis of our worship. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. Do you remember it comes right before that and right after that, Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 6. I'm not as fast at my sword drill as I used to be. All right. Yeah, this is verse 5. So verse 4 is what we call the Shema, or listen, Israel. Right, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your might. How do you do that? Verse 6, and these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, uh, that was implemented very literally in Judaistic and Jewish society. But the idea there is that the Word of God is ever present and with you. It's falling off your lips. You're talking about it with one another. Uh, it guards you as you go in and out of your house, and it's even on your mind and your heart everywhere you go. Uh, and there's a, a corollary uh, verse to that, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul's response verse, right, to the gospel being taught in chapters 1 through 11, now what do you do? 
Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, where do you know the will of God from? You know it from His Word. And so God's will, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. And if you're knowing these things from His Word, you're being transformed from knowledge, becoming understanding, becoming wisdom. And then you are spiritually serving or worshiping God. Uh, One of my favorite illustrations from science uh, is the idea of magnetism. And if you just take a lump of metal and you take a really strong magnet and you put that really strong magnet next to a lump of metal, what happens to it? It magnetizes it. If you say, well, how does that happen? You would think, well, that first that lump of metal had uh, so much magnetism in it that when you put it by the other lump of metal, it had extra and it transferred magnetism in there. Now this one's magnetic too. But that's not what happens. Do you know what happens in actuality? Inside that piece of metal that was not magnetized are what we call a bunch of tiny magnetic domains. It's as if you took a whole bunch of uh, bubblegum pieces, chewed them up, and then, you know, stuck them all together, and that was your hunk of metal, right? And if each one of those was a compass, and they all had a needle that pointed a direction, and they all pointed different directions, then it's, it's not magnetic. But what happens when you bring that strong magnet next to that? It makes all those compasses point the same direction, north and south, that the magnet here does. It didn't transfer anything in there. It just lined everything up with it. And now this thing's magnetic. And that's what the Word of God does in our lives. As it touches on every aspect of our life and lines our life and every aspect up to who God is, now you're walking in holiness and righteousness and purity and knowing what is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God. And we're living that out. Isn't that good? So that's what we want to know from a good reading and studying of the Bible. So where do we start now? Let's go to the next one. Read. And some of us went, oh no. (laughs) Read. Read, 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 read your Bible. And just, just read. That's where it starts. Just read. Yes, Andy. Yes, sir. (laughs) And here's why you're playing right into my first illustration there. Uh, if you've ever in your life done anything athletic ever, even in the PE class where they said you're going to go around the track one time, right? And you know when you were young and you could get out there and you could start running and you'd have that little burst, right? And then you'd, right? And you'd run out of air, you'd run out of wind. But if you kept going, what happened? You'd catch the second breath or the second wind, we call it, Right? In your body, what that is, is uh, you are, you have, through eating, you've stored up energy in your muscles in the form of what we call glycogen. And so when you start first exercising, your body does an anaerobic process, means it's not using oxygen to burn fuel. It's just sucking that ready-made fuel out of your muscles, all right? And when it's gone... You're starving for fuel. And so now your body switches from what it has itself to what it gets by burning oxygen inside your body. That's that's an aerobic process. And now it's dependent how far you can go and how long you can go depends on how well you've trained your body to use oxygen and how long you've trained your body to use oxygen. But now you can go a long time. So we'd tip off the basketball game, and you'd go up and down the court four times hard, and you were hoping for the ball to go out of bounds so you could catch your breath. you know. But once you caught it, we could go the rest of those 40 minutes and just play as hard as we could go with a couple of breathers here and there. right? And so when you're not even wanting to read the Bible, 
you're you're there working in your own strength. It's like the anaerobic thing, right? You sit down and read, and you read to the end of yourself. It's where you're just like, ah. And then the next day you get up and you do it again, and the next day you get up and you do it again, and you do it again until it's not you anymore, but it's the Spirit of God in you now when you read, talking to you and teaching you. And there's just something I have found in my experience when I've gotten away from regular reading. Man, it's not that you want. You know you need to go back. You know the life it gives to you. You want to, but man, it's like getting back in the gym. It can be, it feels like work. But if you stay with it, then the Spirit enters into that process somewhere sooner or later. And now you're off. And it's not what you're doing, but what He's doing in you. And so you just have to read. Uh, It's not about reading a whole bunch all at once. Uh, I've known some guys to sit down. We're going to read the whole Bible in the next 90 days. If you got time to do that, man, knock it out. But not everybody can. right? So you get the old story of the tortoise and the hare. Who wins the race? Right, the one that just stays with it, right, and plods at it, slow and steady, wins the race. And so uh, it's not a sprint. You're not trying to get it all done at once. It's just about the regularity, the consistency, the discipline of it. And so, um, and so the point here, there's 10 or 11 of these. The first one is to read, not just read, but read patiently. Read patiently. So Howard Hendricks uh, passed recently. Uh, was a professor at DTS. He was he would read all the time. I'll get to that in a minute. That's at a different spot. I'm just getting ahead of myself. Let's read patiently. All right, just be steady about it. Let's do the next one. So read patiently. Secondly, read prayerfully. Right, pray for understanding. When you sit down to read, ask God to teach you. Right. And then as he's teaching you, when you before you stand up to go, respond in prayer. That, that's two seven basics. How do we converse with God? He has spoken in his word. We read his word and then we respond in prayer by speaking back to him uh, that we're going to respond uh, to him. And so maybe there's something in that text that tells us who God is. We're going to adore him and just bless God for being who he is. Maybe there's something in that text that uh, convicted me of sin, and so I'm going to confess that sin to God. Um, And then there's uh, things in that text uh, that tell me how, what I am to ask from God for me. And then there's all the other things going on in life. And so put your petitions before God. And so those are the most broadly speaking types of prayer in the Bible. So if you're going to read scripture, you're going to be able to do one or all of those before you come away from a text. Adoration, confession, petition. And so read prayerfully, patiently, prayerfully. Let's look at the next one. Read repeatedly. You're going to get a chance to do these this week, right? by the way. So read repeatedly. This was a convicting statistic when I came across this not too long ago. For those of us that are like, I'm a terrible reader. I read so slow. It's okay. right? You can read the whole Bible, talking it out loud, understandably at pulpit speed, we call it, not the way I usually read, which is faster than that from the pulpit, but just an understandable tone in the whole Bible, 70 hours. That's really convicting. You could read out loud your Bible to yourself in 70 hours, cover to cover. So that's not stopping to get distracted. That's just reading to hear the Bible. 52 hours, 40 minutes for the Old Testament, 19 hours, 20 minutes for the New Testament. And so one of the greatest things you can do, whatever else you're doing, is just to read through Scripture repetitively, front to back. And just keep going. You can change it up and do a chronological reading of Scripture and go through that whole plan. There's other plans out there. Just have a reading plan and be reading as part of what you're doing. 15 minutes of your time, 20 minutes a day, or while you're on the road, listen to an audio Bible. 
uh, but be listening to or reading through Scripture. What that does, does is gives you the big picture, and you'll uh, <clears throat> be surprised how often, because of that, you're reading somewhere else, and just because we've been reading that other texts and moments and stories will come back to mind, and, all, and the Spirit is doing the work of connecting Scripture with Scripture and teaching you the big picture of the Bible. And so just be reading through regularly through Scripture, aside from a focused study, right? So read patiently, read prayerfully, read repeatedly. It's one of the things I know a lot of us know Tommy Nelson. Um, This is one of the things that has marked his ministry every year. At least once in the year, he reads all the way through his Bible. Now, at one point when I was there for Young Guns, he was teaching 15 or 20 times a week, right? And so he'd gotten to the point where his prep time was a lot shorter than a lot of ours is um, because he was so familiar with the text. And uh, his first two or three years of ministry, he studied intently all the way through the Bible, but he also, he just reads incessantly through scripture. And uh, it just, it gives you a a background and a base to work from with whatever else you're doing. So every year he reads through and marks up a Bible and hands it to a grandkid, grabs a new one, starts all over. So just read through uh, each year. Just read repeatedly. If it's two years stint, three years stint, just be reading. So, all right, next one, read thoughtfully. Now, we pick up the weather report, or for some of us, the stock report for the morning, or for some of us, uh, a gun magazine, or uh, a um, crocheting magazine, right? Um, You know, whatever it might be, whatever your hobby is, computer programming, or whatever it is, right, model making, you're going to pick that up and you're going to put your mind on it, right? How often do we pick up the Bible we're going to read and our minds just, you know, and we're out there, it's flitting everywhere and just distracted. Sit down and be as thoughtful as you would as you read the Bible or as intent as you would, as you would sitting down to do, read something that matters in life or as a hobby in life because the word itself is eternal. And so it matters and it is significant. So read thoughtfully. Turn your attention to it. Fifthly, read telescopically is the next one. Read telescopically. Uh, And so read it at different levels. And this was Howard Hendricks where I started a minute ago. One of the things that was just great. And uh, he had a schedule that most of us couldn't keep. But again, it's just about doing this at the levels you can. And then the timing you can. He would be reading through the whole Bible probably within a year. Uh, He would be also reading through the Gospels repeatedly. So he just went Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the same time that he was going Genesis to Revelation, which makes a kind of a sense, right? The Old Testament that anticipates Jesus, and then you get Jesus coming, and then the uh, Acts uh, where the Gospel's spreading, and the epistles where we're explaining the Gospel, and then the consummation and the culmination and revelation is all centered on Jesus. So he'd read the Bible, and he'd be reading through the Gospels. Uh, and then at the same time, he would take once a month, he would read a book and just read it over and over and over during that month. And he would actually study it out uh, and produce a chart on it and his observations and all his findings. Uh, and so over a six-and-a-half-year period, he would have gone through the whole Bible just on that once a month. Right in a six, the whole thing he would have read repeatedly, and then he just started over. And so, over the course of his lifetime, by the time I was there, he was old. Um, but he had, you know, he could pull out uh, you know, seven, eight, or ten charts on each book of the Bible that he had produced after that month's reading and study of that book. And uh, you could, it was cool. You could see the growth and the depth of his understanding, and always the same main idea. It's always apparent, but a, a really a, an ability to communicate it and a deeper grasp of it. And you could just see the growth uh, through those charts. He'd bring them out and let us look at them. Uh, and so just read telescopically. It, while you're reading through the Bible, you might be reading through a section, you know, the Psalms or the Gospels, 
on a repeat, or you might be reading through uh, a book, or you might be reading through a section of a book, like uh, the Sermon on the Mount, or the Upper Room Discourse in John uh, 13 through 17, or you might be reading through, uh, just you might just be reading a paragraph of thought over and over for a week or two or a month. You know, so read at different levels. Uh, it just helps you be exposed, not only big picture, but fine details and then pulling all that together. So read, read telescopically. Just think about how you might be able to accomplish that at some, and vary it up. Uh, don't get stuck on one thing. Change it from time to time. Next one is to read purposefully. And so we get into some of the details that you'll be paying attention to here in the last half of these. Read purposefully as you read. So you're engaged You're being patient, you're being disciplined, you're being prayerful, you're reading repeatedly, you're reading thoughtfully, you're reading telescopically at different levels. So now you read purposefully. Uh, What's the aim or the point of the author? Like when you get into Acts 1, 8, uh, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then you read through the book of the Acts And if you sit down and read the whole thing in one go, you remember from the beginning, huh, and you watch Acts lay itself out on that verse. You're in through chapter 8 or 9, you're there in Jerusalem. And then you're going to Judea and Samaria. And then with Paul's missionary journeys, now you're going to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so Acts 1-8 becomes a structural key to the layout of the book of Acts. Or uh, you read John, and you get almost to the end of that book. Sometimes at the beginning, sometimes it's at the end. But John tells you why he wrote the book, right? That I write these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and believing that you might have eternal life. That's his whole purpose for writing the book. And so you're looking for what's the point of the author? Uh, what's the structure in the book? Uh, you can see in Romans, you get to chapter 8. He's been talking about lostness, justification in Christ, and then uh, sanctification in Christ, and then the issue of Israel from 9 and 10 and 11, and then he turns to application 12 through 16. And if you read the whole thing at once, you start to pick, and then read it several times, the whole thing at once, you start to pick up that structure in the book. So Look for the purpose of the author. Look for the structure. You might pick up clues through there why he's writing this epistle to that church. What's the issue that seems to be there? What's his answers for that? Is there a repeated phrase? I think in 1 Corinthians, now then, or you wrote to me, or now concerning is what it is. Uh, You see that over and over and over. And so you see things repetitively. It gives you some ideas about structure. And what's the main idea? You know, what are some of the, what's the subject or idea? What are some of the primary themes in the book? And so as you read it over and over and over, several times in a row, uh, just read purposefully and look for those things. We uh, did an advanced hermeneutics, an advanced Bible study methods course at uh, DTS. And what, one of the coolest things about this, I think, is that he said, Everybody, we're going to do Second Timothy. Okay, everybody go read Second Timothy purposefully. And we come back and, and we come and then the first question at the next class was, what's 2 Timothy about? Nobody look at anybody. Everybody go grab a mark slot and go put it on the board. So we all go up there and we're being real careful not to cheat. You know, good seminary kids. I want to, No, no, I'm not going to look. Right? And we write it down and then we all back up. And they all said the same thing. Not exactly the same word. It wasn't that kind of a spirit moment, you know. Uh, but all said essentially the same idea. You know, that, that if you just read the whole book and you read it several times through, you're going to have a pretty good understanding of what the main idea or the topic of that book is. And, uh, and so just paying attention and looking for those things, you're going to pick them up. It's just there. So read purposefully. Read selectively, seventh one. Read selectively. Uh, And so this is where we get into the who, what, when, where, how, and so what. Right? So read selectively. Look for people. Who? Who's involved? Who are they? You know, what do we know about them from the rest of Scripture? And who are the characters at this point 
Uh, who's involved in this letter? When you get into the Galatians, it's the churches in Asia Minor. It's Judaizing folk that come up from Israel. It's Paul. It's Peter, right? And so know who is involved. And then also not just who. Next one is what? What's happening? Right there, Peter, who in Acts 10 had the vision, who are you to declare unclean? What I've declared clean, you'll go to that Gentile's house and you'll have dinner and it's okay. But now in Galatians, Peter has withdrawn from having meals and fellowship with Gentiles, right? Some, what's going on there, right? And how did that come about? What does Paul have to say about that? So look at the what. Next one. Look at the where. Where are these things happening? Are they staying in the same place? They're moving from one place to another, right? One of the big things about Jonah is where he starts. He's in Israel. You're supposed to go north to Nineveh, uh, but instead he runs out into the ocean east, right? He's running away. And then God takes him to the bottom of that ocean before he repents and then spits him back up over here on dry land, back over towards Nineveh, and then he finally goes to Nineveh, right? And so tracking how things are moving. The book of Mark, uh, you know, in the book of John, we find Jesus in Jerusalem three times for Passover. In the book of Mark, Mark just gives these quick pop stories about Jesus' ministry. And to heighten the effect of the book, he takes you, he's always out around the Galilee. And in the first half of the book, chapter eight, he ends up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then he heads towards Jerusalem. And so Mark's doing that on purpose. And you see the glory of God in Christ at the transfiguration. But he's always only, reportedly from Mark, been here. And then he heads to Jerusalem and he ends up on another mount. And you see the glory of God there when he's on Calvary. And so you watch where things are taking place. And you see significance in those things. So... Read selectively. Where? Next one. When? You know, what are the order of events? Uh, when you're reading any of the epistles, they, they relate back into Paul's missionary journeys and acts. When you're reading any of the minor prophets or the prophets, they relate back to the order of events that are in Kings and Chronicles. And Kings and Chronicles do this too. They seem together, right? And so... When are all these things happening? And what happens in what order? Next one. Uh, and then why? And then you start asking why. Why this now? And why that then? And what is the, uh, this is the meaning question. Uh, why? Why is this in the text? Why, is this, why isn't this addressed in the text? How often we have that question? Why answer that question? Well, God wasn't answering that question right there. And that's significant. He keeps it right here, not there, right? And so why is it said that way? Why is it used that word and not that word? And why are the things in the order that they're in? And so meaning, the whys, ask a bunch of why questions. Next one. And then so what or significance? As you start to pull things together, what difference do the truths that are in the text make? What's the significance of those things? So all of those who, what, when, where, why, so what, that's reading selectively. You're looking for particulars in the text. Three more, read imaginatively. Read imaginatively. Now, this isn't Alice in Wonderland, okay? So we don't want to get that imaginative, don't do just anything with the text, but one of my favorites to read, think about reading this way, is the Gerasene demoniac. You have a man that they couldn't, they've shackled him over and over. He couldn't stay bound by chains. He comes screaming out of a cave in a hill to do harm to people. He would do harm to himself. Imagine, you know, I love reading, so when I read, I'm often thinking what everything looks like. Imagine coming around that hill and your only way to town to sell your sheep or your pigs in that region is to go that way and you have to eyeball that cave all the time because that guy is up there and you don't know if he's going to come out after you and nobody can control him, right? He's possessed by demons. 
And then Jesus speaks to him and they're gone. And you remember the people come back out and they see him sitting in his right mind, now fully clothed, talking to Jesus. And it says they were in awe, not of him, but of Jesus because of the power that could accomplish that transformation in him. And so if you don't, if you just scurf through that text and you don't read that with some imagination, you miss the awe that those folks are having and the significance of what Jesus accomplished right there. So engage your imagination. If there's a sight, see it. If there's a smell, smell it. If there's motions, feel them. Like Read it imaginatively and immerse yourself in it. Uh, next one, read it acquisitively. And this means to acquire it, right? Don't just simply read your Bible, but read it to know it. Don't just simply read it to know it, but read it to be known by it, that it would know you, that it's discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. Don't just read it simply to be known by it, but to live by it. Acquire it. Be acquisitive to it. Uh, Read the Bible not simply to live by it, but to proclaim it. That you've acquired it to such a level that you feel comfortable and confident speaking its truths to others. Uh, and almost lastly, read reflectively. Um, you have Psalm 1, How blessed is a man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Uh, you know, we're in the country, so it's a good illustration as a cow chewing his cud. Right? And you see a cow out there, and they are always got their head down grazing. When their head's not down grazing, they're like this, and they're and cooing, jaw on the bottom, just side to side. And they're just, you know, you know, three stomachs. They chew, they graze it in. Read, it's so gross. They regurgitate it back up, chew on it some more. Goes down to the next one. Hey, let's bring that one back up. Chew on it some more, and throw it back down there again. You know, but that's such a great illustration for what we ought to do. So when you're done reading, don't just you're not just done. Uh, one of the greatest blessings of my life was my grandmother. She would get up every morning, coffee, Bible, Strong's Concordance, uh, a tape series by somebody or a book, and she would just study. And then it was on her mind all day long. You never knew. You might be in the car. She's driving you somewhere. She might be at the stove, you know, making porridge or whatever it was we had for breakfast or dinner. Uh, and she'd just go, did you know? And she'd just, she'd be doing like this, you know, and she'd be driving like that too, because she was so excited about what she was about to tell you. Did you know uh, that da da da? And she'd just start laying out what it was that she had been reading that morning. She'd been reflecting on that all day long. It was never a read it and forget it. Read reflectively, let it go with you. Uh, when you get up from it. And then I would add, uh, it's not in the sources I'm taking the material from, but I would add the last one, and it's not on there, but read it uh, with others. Uh, do this in fellowship with other people, because that is there's a certain kind of life that we get from reading the Word, and there's a, just another certain kind of spiritual life we get when we sit down with others. And we don't have it all planned Uh, We're not teaching it. We're just there, and it's the reflective part. And here's what I've been reading. And did you know? No, I didn't know. Tell me more. What have you been reading? Well, did you know? No, I didn't know. Tell me more. And then you start just riffing through Scripture together and finding things and, and asking questions. And so get together from what you've been reading and just or read the same thing together and have that as somewhat of a structure. But talk about things that God just taught you. Uh, Put a light bulb for that. You know, talk about, put a question mark, second thing, you know, questions you have from the text that are unanswered. Do do you know the answer to this one? Because maybe that person knows. Now we'll go look for it. Thirdly, talk about, I'll put a pickaxe for this one, uh, how it works. You know, this is what God's teaching me to do. This is one of those things we really need to do a lot of in our fellowship. Here's what God's teaching me to do right now from my reading of Scripture. Here's what He's working on in me. Man, that's awesome. I'll pray for you for that. Let's pray now. Uh, And then lastly, you can put a little stick figure. Think of others 
Who are other people you could share that truth with? Uh, how could you have that truth ready for a conversation somewhere? Um, to get someone to think about the truths of God. Uh, and so do this in fellowship with others. And so that's just reading. But that's reading a different way. It's not just going and picking the Bible up and reading the words. It's giving you some purpose, purposefulness for reading. So any thoughts or questions there? And I'll tell you what I want you to do this week uh, to kind of think this through. Any thoughts or questions on that? Anything, anything? Yeah. Uh, my reading or when I think about it, I think one of my primary objectives, objectives is simply to know what God meant, what His truth is. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be, I don't know, maybe a harder harder or more confusing way to look at it. No, that's the right question to start with, is what does God say? And as we start looking at more particulars about how to handle a text, that's the first question we ask, is what does it say? Not what I think it says, you know, what I think the meaning of a particular word is, but simply, what does the text say? And then we we add uh, some... uh, areas of thought around that to see if some things are in that text and where it's all, we're just looking for what was the truth God communicated in that text. And so that's the right question to ask. But as we go through this, we're going to give some tools in the tool belt for how to discern those things well and, uh, and to clarify what it is God is saying. Because one of the things that exists out there right now is all the competing interpretations Right. And, uh, and so how do we sort through all that? Well, there's just there's a good way to sit down and say, what is in the text and how do we discern that? What is God saying? And so that's one of the main things we'll be looking at to help clarify that along the way. Yeah. I'm trying to think about how I'm not right what God is Yeah. You know, even when I do something good, sometimes I'm for the wrong reason. That's right. Sometimes I do something for the right reason, and it turns out completely wrong. And yet, God uses my mistakes sometimes Definitely. to help somebody who I didn't even go to help. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's generally, we'll look at what does it say, and then what's the eternal truth in there. And so when, once we really nailed that down, then what we've done is kept ourselves from reading ourselves in or what we would think about it. But we've heard what God has said in a particular time, place, culture, and context, but what's eternally true from that. And once we have that eternal truth, then we begin to look at what's always righteousness, and we can then see us in relation to that. So that's always uh, a part of that process we want to get to for sure. So... What I'd really love to do as we work through, and this was just kind of an orientation, you know, think about how to read when you read. Um, why do we want to do this? Uh, I want to work through the book of Jude, 25 verses, so it's a manageable size. Um, and so as we start to work through particular uh, tasks or methods for taking a text and understanding what the text says and then what the theology of the text is and then how to apply that to our, our lives. Uh, let's do that with the book of Jude. And so this week, read and think about these ways of reading. And don't just read it once, but read it over and over. You can read Jude in like two minutes, you know. And so read it two or three times a day would be my challenge to you. Try to read it 20 times this week, Right. Uh, and this is the illustration that I kind of give to this. So that if you have a favorite book or a favorite movie, we all have that movie we've watched. We don't know why, but we've watched it like a hundred times, you know. Uh, and the first time you watch it, you're just seeing the plot and you want to know that it comes out good in the end. But when you watch it again, right, you start to see other details. And when you watch it again and again and again and again, then you're like, oh, he's the hero archetype. And that's the this kind of character. And here's the worldview question that's going on in there. And man, I wish they'd answered that more biblically this way. Like you can really 
like philosophize about that movie, can't you? You watched it so many times. It's got life lessons in there. But you didn't get that the first time, right? You got that through repetitive exposure to it. And it's the same thing with a book. And so we're getting ready to go through First Timothy soon. So I was doing this recently. Just reading through First Timothy, all on all six chapters, sit down and read it, and uh, and then let it sit, and then come back and read it again, and read it again, and read it again. And one of the things that had never stuck out to me uh, that's there is how it's almost like little throwaway things that Paul will make this big statement, and he'll say something like, "So that you might be saved, so that they'll be saved, so that you'll persevere in the faith." Like his underlying concern in this whole book is that people would persevere and endure in the faith, which is the mark of true conversion, right? And so that they would be saved. If you just go read here and there and pull that and this, you don't catch that. And so that's, you read the whole thing. And then you read it over and over and over. So I won't give you, uh, you know, Ezekiel to do that this week with. So, um, or Psalms. Uh, which Psalms really doesn't work well that way. It's a different type of book. So let's do Jude and just read it over and over and over. Think about uh, reading it according to these things here. And then in particular, is there a main idea or purpose in it? And is there any structure to it? And I think if you read it 10 or 15 or 20 times, you'll come away with a main idea, what the purpose or is in it, and you'll come away with some structure divisions. And so next week we can talk about those a little bit, what you see. All right. Yeah. So, uh, using this methodology, is it cheating to use the study Bible? Yeah, right now you wouldn't use anything else. Yeah. And so. <laughs> Always looking for easy street, he says. <laughs> now you're thinking what? Yeah. But or what is what we're after to to do the work on our own so yeah. it reveals itself to us or is that a good tool or Yeah, there's a that's a good question. There's a place for those tools to come in and so Tommy told us in young guns and then when we got into this in seminary, you know, the best thing to start with is just just a text. You know, and just read the text over and over and over right now. And then we'll start working with the text and then we'll go through the methodology as it is on how to work through the text. And there'll be a certain point at which we'll inject certain tools at their right places. But usually like commentaries and study notes are really close to the end. And uh, one of the beautiful things about this, I think, is uh, we say... Uh, that scripture is clear. It's perspicuous is the technical word we use. You can see the truths from it. Um, We often will shortcut ourselves with those tools and then now we have a reliance upon the tools and when we could have, we can get there without the tools. And so it is a, it's just a beautiful thing uh, when you Start doing this, and, and you're not only feeding yourself, God's feeding you through His Spirit from the Word, but you do the study, and then you think you're kind of on the playing field, and then you flip open MacArthur or Sproul or Spurgeon or Tommy Nelson, and they go, here's what this text is about. And you look over here, and you're in the same spot. you know. And you go, here's how this text is structured, and you're right there. And their words may be more eloquent and their thoughts may go deeper because they've thought about it more. Their pastoral ministries has them exposed to sinful hearts and, you know, they may have gone farther with it than we went, but you're in the conversation with those guys. And that is such a, an affirmation to the truth that the Holy Spirit teaches and reveals even the deep things of God, even to the least of us. And so there'll be a time where we bring those commentaries in, but the bulk of what you start with is just you and the text. But we're going to give you a whole bunch of tools on your tool belts. We're not just like, good luck. So (laughs) 
we'll walk you through it nice and slow, all right? And so we're going to take Jude, and we're going to sit in Jude, and we're going to do all these tools and put all the dents and scrapes on Jude from using our tools wrongly and then better, and we'll get better at it. So, yeah. Sure. I'm no theologian, so to start out with, but I read through Mark a few times. It's kind of mm. based some of the details of the part. talks about the end of Mark 6. It just talks about how he went north from Jerusalem, not just from, I think he was near uh, Tyre and Sidon. Mm-hmm. It's about 90 miles. Yeah. Roughly from his mother, mother met. And it says in 7, it says, Then came together to him some Pharisees and certain scribes that came from Jerusalem. Right. That kind of struck me because so that kind of reading, you're you're wondering, starting to learn more about. Yeah. So so you've looked at where and where he's gone and then who's come with him. Yeah. And so when you're paying attention to all that, it starts to that text to you. Yeah. Mm Mhm. Yeah. Just because we read through Mark so many times, yeah, it just kind of came out to me. That's yeah. good. So it's pretty good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So you know, whatever you're doing elsewhere, keep it up. But like as we're doing this, just go read Jude, read it over and over, and just you know, don't go looking far afield yet. Just be looking at what's there in Jude, and then we'll walk this process out week by week with Jude, and uh, and I think you'll be pleased when we get to the end of it where we land. So, and what you're able to do uh, with the text, um, you'll be able to hold me accountable when I preach on Sundays. So, right? <laughs> Pastor, that wasn't right. Look right here. So, that'll be awesome. So, all right. Let me pray for us. And we'll let you go or hang out as long as you want, then you can go. Father, we thank you uh, for this time tonight, Lord, and just thinking about why, God, we want to put time and effort towards uh, reading and studying the word. Um, and rightly dividing it so that we would understand its truths and that they would affect us and uh, work your work in us and change our lives, God. Pray that as we begin to pick up the letter of Jude, Lord, that we would see its purpose and its intent as we begin to walk through it with these tools that we'll uh, give over the next several weeks, that uh, it would radically uh, change us. Uh, how we come to read the Word and our confidence and our ability and our uh, surety that we, because of your Word and the truth of it, because of your Spirit and His ministry in us and to our heart, that we can know and learn and speak the truths of your Word with confidence. And we can share that then together for our growth in Christ and the fellowship of the church. And we can share that with others, God, and uh, share your truth confidently, clearly, and compassionately that others might come to know Jesus Christ because your people can declare the truths of your word and the truths of Christ, Lord. Bless us as we fellowship and as we go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.